Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks, we're both longtime MMA journalists, And for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, Conor McGregor is back in the news. And surprise, surprise, perhaps for not flattering reasons. So we're going to talk about that this week on the Co-Main Event Podcast. We also had a pretty huge upset over in the PFL during that organization's first pay-per-view event, Larissa Pacheco goes out there and defeats Kayla Harrison in the women's lightweight uh, title championship. And I don't know, man, of, of you know, we, we talked last week about how it didn't seem like a ton of people were going to buy this PFL pay-per-view, but I got to be honest with you, the people that I know that did watch it, I guess I'll use the word watch instead yeah. of uh, perhaps the more descriptive word buy, those mm-hmm. people came away with pretty positive impressions of this PFL pay-per-view. They, they, you know, had a lot of stoppages in the, in the final fights. And then you get into this, um, upset in the, in the women's lightweight final that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show, but it sounded like people enjoyed themselves watching the PFL pay-per-view this weekend. Yeah. You know, I always think one of the big challenges when you're an organization not named the UFC and also an organization that doesn't typically do pay-per-views is when you do come out and say, all right, this stuff you guys have been watching, it costs money now for this one because it's special. You then have to find some way to make it feel special enough that people don't go, wait a minute, this is just the same shit I've been watching for free. And that's not always easy to do. And it seemed like uh, among the people, you're right, I'll say watched rather than bought. And also it seemed like every person who was watching was also tweeting about it. And they seemed to come away being like, this one felt like a big event. This felt like something special and something different. And I'll say it again, I think you can really get a surprising amount of mileage in the MMA space off of the old this one is for $1 million kind of sales pitch. Yeah, It sounds like some just basic-ass promoter shit to just be like, there's a briefcase with a bunch of money in it, and we're going to hand it to the winner at the end. Or, you know, 
in the case of Bellator, giant novelty check made out to Vadim Nemkov, some shit like that. But it works. It honestly does work. And especially it works in a different kind of way when it's the PFL featuring a bunch of dudes and a bunch of people who we kind of know sometimes and we didn't necessarily know them as being at the very top of their field, but there's something rewarding about getting to be there and see them get a million dollar check anyway for going over there to PFL and winning it. And you go, you know what? Good for you. I'm glad. As far as fighter pay is concerned, mixed martial arts pretty much uh, steadfastly refusing to adjust for inflation. We're still just giving out a million bucks. Uh, If I remember correctly, do you remember... The professional wrestling film No Holds Barred. Well, sure. Of course. We all do. Obviously, you do. Starring Hulk Hogan. And if I recall correctly, this film, which came out, I believe, in the late 80s, early 90s, the prize that you were going to get for winning this wrestling tournament was $1 million tax-free. They kept emphasizing the tax-free portion of it. Again, though. That was like well over 30 years ago or something at this point. I get that it was a movie. It was fictional and that the million dollars you win in the PFL is not tax free. But still, it does seem like it tells you something about where we are in this sport. You imagine you went to an NFL player and like, hey, man, you make it all the way through this season. Win the Super Bowl at the end, you'll get one million dollars. And be like, what? Get out of my house. <laughs> oh, that, I'm going to uh, have my servants show you out. The tournament in No Holds Barred must have been in Florida. <laughs> How come they could have it be tax-free? You know what? I remember a whole lot about that movie. Maybe too much, but I don't remember that. Yeah. Someone should uh, someone should get to the bottom of the legality of that, of the tax-free cash prize in the wrestling tournament in the film No Holds Barred. I'm sure that there's a scintillating <laughs> legal analysis to be had. If you think there isn't somebody in the goof section on IMDb for that movie talking about it right now, I think you're wrong. Yeah, no, I'm sure there are. Given what we know about the goof section over on IMDb. uh, Fucking goofs. Not a lot gets past those guys. Got to get up pretty early in the morning to put one over on the goofs section over at IMDb.com. Just remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This podcast drops for free every Monday afternoon in your podcast uh, timelines and apps and all that other stuff. And if you like what you hear from this version of the show, you can check out more from us over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben folks and I are party rocket over there all week. We've got the Wednesday live chat Thursdays, doing the damn thing and Friday's power hour among other things. Something is always popping off over at the co-main event podcast, Patreon. You can get in, join the official discord message board, start chopping it up with all the beloved patrons of the co-main event. While you're over there, uh, check out our recently launched new merchandise shop. We did it in conjunction with our partners at Superconductor. And there are some sweet-ass new T-shirts, beanies. Ben, folks, you and I went to a football game, nighttime football game here in Montana on Saturday night. Uh, It was cold out there, man. Game wrapped up around midnight here in the One True Time Zone. You were sporting the co-main event podcast logo beanie up there on your noggin, and it seemed like you were as snug as a bug in a rug. My head was anyway. Uh, That's a comfortable-ass beanie, man. Yeah. Flattering, as you can see. You, I mean, you saw how handsome I looked in it. No, man, that's, you looked uh, drop-dead gorgeous is how I would describe it. And that's only like 80% me. 
The other 20% is the beanie. The yeah. beanie was doing some work there. The beanie was uh, putting your best face forward, I guess you would say. Uh, head over to comainevent.com, our website, and click the link at the top of the screen that says shop. That'll get you over there to the new merchandise shop. Christmas is coming. We'd love it if you uh, bought your loved ones from get some gifts from the from the co-main event shop. Uh, remember, if you have any design needs, check out our guys over at Superconductor. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. That's how business gets done. Uh, we've got music this week from our guy, Dion Rodriguez. Long time supplier of music to the Co-Main Event Podcast. He's a music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, as you guys all know, that's the word beats with a Z. Beat. They know that. Everybody knows that. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Conor McGregor probably took a whole bunch of steroids. While recovering from his leg injury, Conor McGregor basically says. <laughs> so that's a different approach. And in round number two, Larissa Pacheco forces game four against Kayla Harrison is what we all now in what we now all assume will be a five fight series for the ages. And in round number three, the Wonder Man and Kevin Holland apparently fight this weekend at a UFC fight night. So that's definitely something that's going to happen. Or, you know, something that might happen if nothing goes wrong. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN is one of our favorite products online right now. I use it on all my devices. Ben does too. It's super fast. It's easy to use. Even I can figure it out, which is saying something. NordVPN will give you the peace of mind of knowing that all your personal information is safe online, whether you're using the internet at home, traveling, or just running around town, and your phone is bouncing from one public Wi-Fi to another. It's going to keep you covered, man. What what do you like best about NordVPN, Ben? Well, Chad, you know that I love the ability to go all over town, hop on various public Wi-Fis, and have NordVPN kick in automatically to keep me safe. Doesn't matter where I am, Chad. Doesn't matter if I'm at the discotheque. Doesn't matter if I'm at the roller rink. Doesn't matter if I'm down at the livery. As soon as I get on that public Wi-Fi, NordVPN has me covered. You know what they call you in the streets? What's that? NordVPN Ben. Is that what they've been shouting at that's, me? That's, that's, that's the name by? that ring out okay. in the streets. It's it's tough to tell because I'm driving so fast. NordVPN Ben. Uh, we've been telling you guys about the Nord Security Bundle. NordVPN has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you want to go for the big dog, you can get the complete plan, which will take care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords uh, and protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal uh, by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain to get one free bonus month as well as their exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee. Uh, first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our old buddy Kyle Kelly Yonner, longtime emailer, of the podcast, occasional or occasion, occasional supplier of music to the co-main event podcast. He writes, so Tony Ferguson got into the Harvard business school. 
because he sure is tweeting like he did. What in the pre-distressed jeans-wearing, sunglasses-inside, anti-AP-style capitalization rules Christ is happening right now? Ben, did you see these tweets from Tony Ferguson? I did not because I believe I am blocked. You're blocked Pretty by sure Tony blocked. Ferguson? Pretty, I think, of, I mean, I've done Ben blocked by oh, Tony wow. Ferguson for a while now. Man, for I a while. Know that. My, my condolences to you. I don't even know what I did. Probably, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and guess that it wasn't my fault. I'm going to say I just got wrapped up. Maybe he just saw me running with the wrong crowd on okay. Twitter. So this is going to be like that skit in Mr. Show where they read episodes or of Calvin and Hobbes to the blind. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be doing right now, describing Tony Ferguson's tweets to you. This one from November 26th. It comes with a photograph of Tony Ferguson sitting atop the Harvard Business School sign with mm-hmm. uh, what I can only imagine is the Harvard Business School in the background. He's wearing a Harvard T-shirt. And as Kyle uh, described, he is, in fact, wearing dist- distressed ripped jeans. And, of course, the ever-president Tony Ferguson sunglasses. Uh, he goes with a, a quote, I think, at the top that says, A man cannot discover new oceans unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. Okay. And then he says, hashtag B sharp crew champ CSO American flag emoji and all this other stuff. Cambridge mass hashtag Harvard university. And then he goes ahead and there's another tweet of him. Okay, good. I was hoping there'd be another tweet again with a photograph standing with a group of people out in front of a building. And it says stronger crossover than Iverson. This, I mean, there's so many emojis in these tweets. Ah, oh, I wish you could see them, but you've been blocked. <laughs> uh, he says stronger crossover than Iverson. Thank you, Harvard HBS. And then he tags uh, Anita Burse, L Burse, who is the Harvard Business School professor. She, uh, she's an author. Yeah, she works at Harvard, and a few other for making this possible. Opportunities exist when we create them. And then. Uh, Champ, SEO, extra credit, back to work, hashtag, you're it, shake hands emoji. Uh, So I don't know if that is meant to make it seem like Tony Ferguson is now attending the School of Business at Harvard, but he was definitely there and he definitely did something there. Okay. See, the first one I was going to say, you're not describing anything that any of us couldn't do. Buy a t-shirt, sit on the sign, you know. Security is lax down there. Yeah. We could we could pull that off if we wanted to. But then the other stuff with the group of people and we're tagged. I mean, it would be hilarious if he is not, if he has no, no business there whatsoever, has nothing going on there. And this person from the Harvard Business School sees uh, that you've been tagged by Tony Ferguson here. And you'd be like, what the fuck? What is, is this? What's going on here? This, I, I don't know. Is this, it'd be a weird time, I guess, like it's. End of November, I don't think the business school semester starts now, right? I don't know. It seems like a strange time to be getting going there. But also, you know what? If you told me that Tony Ferguson was like, you know what? I need to I need to change up. I need to start thinking about the next act in my life, the next phase. Maybe I'll go to business school. And hey, if I'm going to go to business school, I'm going to go to Harvard Business School. Like uh, a fucking son of a president or something. Some I'm gonna go fuck around at Harvard Business School. Some of the top MMA websites 
are on this story. I see a headline from BJPenn.com that says, Tony Ferguson plans to study business at Harvard University. I also see a headline from MMANews.com that says Tony Ferguson is going to study business at Harvard. And I also study see... Study business, huh? That's a hilarious fucking BoJack Horseman ass thing. I'm going <laughs> to go to study the business. <laughs> I will know all about the business after this. And then uh, there's a uh, there's a headline here also from Sports Kida. I'm sure you know them. Uh, that says fans react as Tony Ferguson begins studying business at Harvard University. So maybe oh, that's not some next level MMA media ring right there. That's not react. even. Yeah. Yeah. That's not even like Tony Ferguson tweeted this and we're going to write a we're going to write off of what other people tweeted about Tony Ferguson tweeting about learning the business. I don't know. Down if you, at Harvard I don't know if you school. could perceive the sarcasm in my voice, but those aren't exactly paragons of. The MMA media, those websites that I just mentioned. So is Tony Ferguson attending the Harvard Business School? Answer, I don't know. Next answer, it would be hilarious if he was. And yeah, I can't wait to find out how it goes. Here's my concern, though, Chad. And I say this with 100% sincerity. I'm a little worried that if Tony Ferguson is attending Harvard Business School, he might fall in with the wrong crowd. Some of those people might be a bad influence on him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he might try marijuana. Is that what you're... <laughs> it wasn't marijuana I was thinking of. You think he but... might get on the... Uh, what do they use for the uh, for the studying PEDs? <sighs> I mean, or the, the one that they're just doing in the bathroom of a nightclub in Cambridge or whatever. I'll, I'm just saying, you and I both know that not everybody who shows up down there at Harvard Business School is the best and the brightest super serious about learning the business. Some of them are just the grandkid to some rich asshole who donated money and built a library years ago. They get to go there, fuck around, know that it doesn't matter anyway. They're going to be gifted a extremely high-paying job at the end of it anyway. And Tony Ferguson starts hanging around. Tony Ferguson is walking around on campus. Don't you think those are the kind of assholes who are going to be like, hell yeah, bro, I got to befriend Tony Ferguson. And then what? Yeah. What Adderall. becomes of, of this... Wide-eyed, eager to learn, young professional fighter Tony Ferguson, who shows up there, they might lead him down a wrong path. Is all I'm saying. I'm I'm a little concerned. Yeah, Tony Ferguson about to get addicted to Adderall. That's what I was what I was fishing for. I personally can't wait for the first time Tony Ferguson slaps a napkin <laughs> on a window of a local <laughs> diner and it's like, I got a number. How do you like them apples? Right. Okay. That's what happens yeah. over there. I've mm -hmm. seen the movie. Now, see, if he could get a Robin Williams figure in his life, then I, I think maybe we could get somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I feel sorry for whatever Harvard Business School professor has to edit Tony Ferguson's first term paper. Uh, what with every single word capitalized. Going to be a lot of hashtags in that term. Paper. <laughs> yeah, a lot of emojis. Can he turn those things in with emojis? I'm not sure. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Mitch Davies, who writes, man, have you guys been hearing Anthony Smith's awful takes lately from advising we boycott Jake Paul fights to his breakdown of why John Jones quote isn't even that good. He comes off as super bitter and negative uh, for seemingly no reason. I'd rather listen to Chael, DC or Stephen A talk fights for an hour than listen to his takes. Or is this just me being super bitter and negative for no reason? Uh I know that Anthony Smith has recently popped up in the Conor McGregor story, which we'll talk about coming up in, in round number one here. To be honest with you, I haven't been following Anthony Smith's takes that closely. 
as a, these days I make it a point to not follow many fighters takes all that closely. I know that in the past we have regarded Anthony Smith as, as a somewhat level headed and sober articulate, uh, analyst in the fight game. But, uh, you know, perhaps he has some, some reason, some personal reason to maybe make a case that, uh, John Jones wouldn't be that good at fighting since those guys, uh, you know, have been out there together as for boycott and Jake Paul fights. Uh, I don't, that's probably not that, that uncommon of a view. I just don't know what's going on with Anthony Smith these days, I guess is yeah. the short answer. I've seen some people getting mad at him online and some people responding to his stuff and then him getting mad about the way he feels those, some of those comments have been characterized in the MMA media. Here's my working theory though, Chad, if you want to be an either current fighter or recently retired fighter who makes sort of a cottage industry for yourself out of saying stuff, out of being a talking head and, and showing up on podcasts or on TV shows or whatever, and just giving takes. Because there's a few people now who have managed to make that part of their thing. But if you're going to be a fighter who does it, especially one who's technically still in the game, you need to cultivate at least a little bit of a vibe of, hey, I'm just being a silly little guy. You got to have at least a little bit of silly little guy energy. Okay. Because otherwise, people are going to take your shit too seriously, and you'll be constantly on the defensive every time you say something. Yeah. Like, Daniel Cormier, Daniel Cormier is going to throw out tons of bad takes all the time, but it feels like he's just kind of smoking and joking, doesn't it? Yeah, silly little guy. Silly little guy. He's just out there being a silly little guy. How are you going to get mad at a silly little guy? That's yeah. on you. You want to get mad at a silly little guy, you look dumb. <laughs> like, he got that kind of a vibe about it when he does it. Michael Bisping, another one of those guys where, you know, people... Uh, like during the week, want to get mad at Michael Bisping for something he said on his podcast. During the weekend, want to get mad for something he said on commentary, whatever. But he's just being a silly little guy, Chad. He's being a silly little guy. Yeah. He's got that kind of like, he's just, he's basically in the pub with a pint of the black stuff, talking shit in the back. And, you know, sometimes some of the shit is not going to be as good as some of the other shit, but that's just how it goes. You're here for the fun time anyway. You can't get mad at a silly little guy. Anthony Smith, I think, comes off as too serious. Mm -hmm. For one thing, because he is a, he he comes off as a as a smart articulate guy got the glasses he sounds like he's it's all very serious business it doesn't sound silly little guyish at all yeah. when he says it and so he got to cultivate a little bit of the silly little guyness mm -hmm. to kind of take the edge off now see the question i was going to ask if indeed this stuff is true about anthony smith if if he's been firing off some hot takes the question i was going to ask is whether or not uh, he has been seduced by the hashtag just saying stuff lifestyle because we've seen some of these other fighters and you just mentioned him, Daniel Cormier. He's in the news all the time with his yeah. hashtag just saying stuff lifestyle, right? You, you can't look at uh, any of the aggregation sites without seeing a bunch of Daniel Cormier said XYZ headlines, you know, Chael Sonnen. 100%. Who hasn't yep. really been that relevant in actual fighting for a long time now you look at the internet all you see is those videos of him sitting in a dark room with bad guy incorporated in lights up on the wall behind him right Hashtag again, just saying stuff that's another good example though chael sonan manages to get like he's even like he's goddamn near a woody woodpecker bugs bunny kind of character in the mma media space at this point where he's just saying stuff he's just being a stinker man sometimes you know he's not being serious you know he's just saying it to get a rise out of you, and he's deadpan doing it, and that's part of the fun. Uh, it's it's funny. He's got a good sense of humor, and he's just kind of kind of riling you up a little bit. He's being a silly little guy. He's yeah. not being super serious about it. What Anthony Smith says, especially when he came up when he was talking about the 
making the argument for boycotting Jake Paul fights just basically because of the disrespect he's showing to everybody. And you just like, you can maybe come out with that take, but it needs to not feel quite so like denouncing him from the pulpit kind of thing, especially because Jake Paul's entire fighting career is kind of itself, Chad, a silly little guy move. Yeah. I guess if I was 34-year-old Anthony Smith and I had had more than 50 professional MMA fights and I thought to myself maybe I was getting on toward the end of it and people kept telling me I was good at the talking part of it, I was good at the mm-hmm. on-screen MMA analyst stuff, I might be looking around at all these other guys with their hashtag just saying stuff lifestyle and all the attention they're getting and I might think, hey, maybe I should dip my toe in the pool of hashtag just saying stuff. Maybe that is the right lifestyle for me, Anthony Smith. But if what I hear you saying is correct... You need to have a little bit more of that SLG energy, right? Yeah. A little bit of silly little guy energy. You need to get a lighted sign behind you in the background that says Lionheart Incorporated. And then you can say whatever you want. As long as you got that SLG energy, ain't nobody going to take it too serious. Yeah. You just need to make it so that it's not constantly like you are taken with 100% sincerity every single time. Like you you just, you, you need to make sure people know that we're having fun here. We are just saying stuff. I can tell you, you and I know, after years and years of sitting in front of these microphones, you just say enough stuff, you can just say some stuff people disagree with. You could just say some stupid stuff. But if you got that silly little guy energy, you can roll with it. Yeah. Because we're just talking shit and having fun. This whole show is silly little guy energy. That's all it is. That's all it is. Next question this week comes to us from Tim Clifton over on Patreon. He writes, watching Omari Akhmedov shedding the claret in PFL got me to thinking. Given how we justify the damage to fighters now we now that we know the dangers of CTE, do you think we would similarly be able to justify the return of something along the lines of gladiatorial coliseum combat? Now, Ben, you're familiar with the famous uh, gif, correct, of the woman who, like, what does she taste, kombucha? Or something, and then she goes through a number of different faces. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel when I start thinking about this question. Because at first, I want to just laugh it off as a ridiculous assertion. Then I remember Dana White's Power Slap League, and I'm yeah. like, well, maybe I can't completely discount the idea that we would have some manner of gladiatorial combat in our future. And then I think again, no, we wouldn't do that. And I think, well. Wouldn't we, though? Wouldn't we? So, I mean, I'd love to sit here and tell you that this is the, the silliest idea I've ever heard, that this question has hashtag SLG energy. Uh, I don't know. I, In good conscience, I can completely do that. I can't rule it out at this point. Let me just say that. Okay, you're right that I also, I went through a kind of a similar thought process here, and the slap league is where I get to a point where I say, well, I can't rule anything out anymore. Once we're doing that. I mean, the problem with the gladiatorial combat is then you can't go before the Nevada Commission and have them say, you'll make sure nobody dies. Because you'd be like, actually, honestly, no. But people are going to die in this gladiatorial combat. I mean, also, I guess the big difference here is that, uh, you know, somebody had to reach out to Dana White. They saw him on Instagram saying, like, have you ever professionally slapped or would you like to? And they went, hell yeah, brother, me, please. Can I please be in the the power slap league? And they got the call back. The gladiators didn't always get so much of a choice in the matter. It, you know, they they weren't exactly submitting applications there. So that's one major difference. The 
I guess a lot of my thinking on what we can and can't justify comes down to an issue of like informed consent. Do you know what you're getting yourself into? Like, that's a big part of it for me. And with the Power Slap League stuff, I, I still think it's incredibly stupid. It's super dumb. I can't imagine it really catching on. People who watch it more than once just for like the novelty value, I don't know what's going on in their heads. But I also feel like there's nobody who could watch it or hear about it and kind of not know what the deal is. Because the deal is you have to stand there and let somebody hit you in the face. And if you come away after that being like, I feel like I sustained brain damage or some kind of irreparable damage was done to me. Well, you did hear the pitch for a thing that said, would you like to stand there and let somebody hit you in the face? And you said, yes, please. Please choose me out of a pool of applicants for that particular job. So... I don't know how much sympathy I'm going to have for you there. The the thing that gets me with the, the damage and stuff that we see done to fighters is that they are creating so much fucking money in doing this. They're, they're creating a ton of fucking revenue. And the people they're creating the revenue for know that and are also actively working to keep them to a very, very minimal share of that revenue when... Other sports that have a similar element like this, like the NFL, they have fought for ongoing uh, medical care and pensions and those kinds of things because you might think you can go do all this crazy shit to yourself now and it feels fine because you're 28 or whatever, but it's going to be different when you're 50 and all that money is somebody else is still going to be spending it. So that's the part that I guess still bothers me about the way we have it set up in MMA. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you one thing for sure. If gladiatorial games ever enter the sphere of combat sports as we know it the first place that i will hear about it will be on the timeline of the grabaka hitman and he will be posting a short video being like gladiator games fc just kicked off over in russia here is a video of two guys fighting with spears one guy gets a net thrown over him or something like that and i'll be like (laughs) okay yeah no i guess this is stabbed in the chest with a trident two bearded guys over in russia having a gladiator fight okay and you're right it will be in russia they're they're trying out every possible idea of we're fighting in cars we're fighting on top of shipping containers we're doing all the kinds of other stuff and it's eventually they're gonna get around to like now we're killing each other we're doing like it's a it's still a fight on top of a shipping container, except that one guy is thrown to his death. So there you go. Yeah, uh, I wanted to read this one from our guy, Patrick Milder on Patreon. He, you know, Pat just uh, recently passed his Ph.D. dissertation, which has been a hot topic of conversation over on the uh, the discord message board. His his trials and tribulations get into that. I wanted to read this. This message that he sent us this week that says title dissertation progress and expressing gratitude via MMA analogs. He writes, this is a long one, but I'm going to read it anyway. I passed my PhD neuroscience dissertation defense with edits on the manuscript. However, the litany of research topics I have to add to my manuscript is equivalent to the amount of beef that was in the cage at UFC 241 Brock versus Uberim. The final draft is due December 1st, and I was unable to work on it over Thanksgiving because my in-laws are farmers without 
without Wi-Fi. This hindered writing almost as much as the high attitude altitudes hindered Kane Velasquez. In other words, I made it through the first three rounds, took some calf kicks, and suffered diversified Dundasso while getting those 10-9 rounds. I'm ahead, and I just want to salt away the victory. We went into the championship rounds a little beat up, much like Bobby Knuckles trying to fend off Romero with a broken hand at UFC 225. I, however, have an advantage these fighters did not. The CME community and the associated Discord. It's the best place on the internet, and if you're listening to this, but you haven't signed up for Patreon, you're a fucking goof. The Patreon gives you access to the Discord along with additional content. It's well worth the price and is officially doctor recommended. Get on it and start enjoying MMA the way the gods of Mount Zion intended. Thanks for that, Patrick Milder. Congratulations on successfully defending your dissertation. And if you want to take the good doctor's advice, head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to support the team. All right, we got one more. Who else? What other MMA websites, Chad, have they got a Discord with the... PhDs in neuroscience over there. They're, they're, that Just throwing exist. it down. We got the only one. Uh, only one. Sports Kita don't have that. <laughs> only way. <laughs> All right. Here's our last question this week, and then we're going to get into this. This somewhat related to what we're going to talk about in round number one. But this one is for, from Jamara Yugel Hagen, who I believe is an Australian rules football player. Okay. He writes, so Connie Mack, that's Connor McGregor is alleging to be back early next year with all picograms set to be clear of his system by February. I don't care how much of a bitch-ass casual mark it makes me. McGregor versus Chandler, give it to me. It's mine. Now, Ben, we're going to talk about uh, Conor McGregor's journey back from his injury, I guess you could say, coming up in round number one. But let's just for a second narrowly focus this discussion and say, assuming that this happens, assuming Conor McGregor is able to uh, surf the high tides of the USADA testing system and get back in the UFC next year. What do you do with the guy at this point? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about how he is the variable in the UFC lightweight title picture that you always have to at least account for when you're talking about what somebody needs to do to earn a title shot. And yet it feels to me like, especially now with Islam Mahachev as champion, we're not we're not going to do that, are we? Like we're not going to just take Conor McGregor coming right off his broke ass leg and be like, "Okay, we have found the thinnest possible justification to throw him in there and have his head literally torn from his body by Islam Mahachev." Like we're not doing that. We're going to do something at least first off, we're going to do something more fun and then maybe see if Conor McGregor wants to do the ongoing shit talking like he does with Khabib where he continues to act like none of us saw that fight. And so he can tell us anything he wants about what happened in it. In the meantime, it does seem like if he comes back, we want to do something that is fun, that helps him, you know, get his feet under him a little bit in the division as it stands now, but also is not too tough. And Michael Chandler might check off a lot of those boxes just because, you know, Michael Chandler will go out there and have some fun ass fights, but also the the losses sort of, Mounted up a little bit here. He doesn't seem like the most dangerous guy, but he's still got a name. He's definitely been campaigning for that fight. I could see that as being a very real possibility. It just seems like the longer he's out, the more possibilities get taken off the board in one way or another, you know? Yeah, I would think, to be perfectly honest, that Michael Chandler or Cool Dusty P is the way to go in the return of Conor McGregor, but uh, I guess time will tell. Time will tell. Don't you think Dustin Poirier just beats him again? I mean, I, even now, like, I think probably if they kept fighting, 
once a year, I think it only gets worse and worse and worse for Conor McGregor. I think that you want something that at least feels somewhat winnable for him. Michael Chandler feels, it seems right now for him, more winnable than Dustin Poirier. Yeah, no, I probably agree with you on that. Anyway, we're going to talk more about Conor McGregor coming up in round number one. Uh, that's going to do it for listener mail. However, however, if you have a uh, question or comment you'd like to air to the co-main event podcast for a future episode, you know how to do it. Go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That will get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, like I said, we are going to go and get ahead and get started with round number one. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, Ben, I don't totally know where to start with this discussion about Conor McGregor and his return from injury, uh, and I don't know how, frankly, we will contain this discussion to just one round on the co-main event podcast proper. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this more and more in the coming months, but this story about Conor McGregor has been percolating for a while now, pretty much as soon as photographs of his body started to emerge after his lengthy hiatus from the sport following the broken leg that he suffered in his most recent fight against Dustin Poirier, where, hey man, we couldn't help but notice that Conor McGregor was looking pretty large and in charge. Face looking much thicker than before. Body looking much bigger than before. And so, naturally, there were all kind of rumors going around. What was Conor McGregor doing while he was working his way back from this broken leg? And then... As part of a press conference, if I'm not mistaken, Dana White casually drops when he's asked in conversation, oh yeah, no, Connor got removed from the USADA pool while he was out doing this rehab, to which we all said, say what now? We didn't know that was a thing you could do if you were still an active fighter in the UFC. Just exempt yourself from the USADA testing pool. Now, within the last week or so, we've had a series of tweets from your boy, Connor McGregor, all of which sort of sound like, yes, I took PEDs while I was out rehabbing my, my injured leg. And how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> if you say anything about how that might not have been above board and absolutely what I should have done, which is an interesting and maybe never before seen tack for a guy to take publicly in this field. And now he's saying he's going to have a... Uh, a multi-part documentary that's going to come out to detail all the stuff that he did. And I, I, like I said, I don't know where to start, man. I'm a little bit flabbergasted by the whole thing. It is a bold new tactic. And you got to give the man credit as an innovator in a lot of ways here. Yeah. Because 
to not just sort of lay low and see if you can duck USADA, but to just go ahead and get all the way out of the testing pool. Not say anything about it at the time, by the way. This seemed to have gone on for months and months where people just sort of quietly, but then louder and louder saying, wait a minute, why hasn't Conor McGregor been tested at all this year? And then finally the UFC is going to sort of no-sell it. It's like, oh yeah, no, no, it's because he's in the testing pool. That's sort of no big deal. And then we go, wait a minute, what? Because he's still ranked. He's still up here. Chad, I'm going to look at the, the UFC ranking page right now. I'm looking at men's lightweight division, and I see Conor McGregor sitting there at number 14. Well, you're telling me you know he's not in the testing pool and you still got him on the page there? He's still eligible for the voting, all that stuff? That's that's not usually how you do it. But then they finally go, okay, uh, I guess we're just waiting for somebody to notice and bring it up in public at a press conference. And we say, yeah, no, he's not in the testing pool. And then for some other fighters to basically be like, hey, wait a minute, in this kind of bullshit that he can just do that? And then he comes out with the, how dare you? <laughs> How dare you question my right to withdraw myself from the testing pool specifically so that I can do the things that the testing pool would prevent me from doing for my health. Thank you very much. Here, this is one of the the, the, the tweets that he fires off in response uh, to Anthony Smith. He says, this rat spoke to Weidman, who the same horrific injury and is having severe complications still is bothered that I was able to heal slash return to a normal way of life. He, like many other rats in my game, would be happier if I wasn't able to play with my children the same again. That's what this is about, Chad. Man wants to play with his children. Man needs to heal his body so that he can be the father he needs to be to his family. And if he should happen to get totally fucking jacked in the process and be out here looking really uh, thick, tight, and muscular with his shirt off, so be it. But you would have to be an absolute rat to say something about it. Yeah. Innovator, um, I'm telling you. I mean, it's been a while since uh, I have thought... That Conor McGregor uh, deserved this reputation that he he had gained early on in his career as being like a media genius and like being a PR genius. We used to ascribe all this stuff to him. And then as his career progressed, it started to feel like, oh, wait, maybe he's just like a loose cannon and it's constantly just popping off. And we afforded him uh, this credit of being a, a genius before that he maybe he didn't deserve. But now this media strategy, like it's obviously super bold. And part of me is, is kind of honestly feels like, I guess if you're going to do it, this is the smartest media strategy to, to, to go for, to not like try to deny it and just be like, yeah, I done it. Uh, and I absolutely should have. And frankly, you will recall when Anderson Silva tested positive for performance enhancing drugs after his own return from a terrible, uh, potentially career-ending leg injury. We both sat here on this podcast and we're sort of like, well, if Andrew, Anderson Silva at his age, which I believe was in his 40s at the time, yeah. felt like he needed to get on that good good in order to fully come back from this horrific broken leg, that is one situation where we could kind of understand how PEDs would be attractive. And I'm not going to gonna try to you know, be a hypocrite by saying, I don't think Conor McGregor should have done the same thing. Like I'm far less of a hardline PEDs guy than I used to be having learned more about, uh, the, the worldwide anti anti-doping culture. And if, if, if a fighter is trying to return from this kind of injury, should he be able to use some of these performance enhancing drugs if they're going to help his healing process? 
I'm not so sure the answer should be no. But that's not what the rules are. That's not what the rules are right now. And if Conor McGregor is just going to say, yeah, I did it, so what? That is, that's a really balls out move. And if the UFC is going to stand by and let him do it, you're basically making a mockery out of your entire testing policy. Like everything about your testing policy just is a lie. If you're going to let Conor McGregor do this. Well, and, and I mean, I got, I got news for you. They absolutely are. Like, yeah. hundred percent. There's no way that they're going to come down hard on Conor McGregor. For well, this. and one more, one other thing I would just say as an addendum to this, first of all, when you haven't won a fight in the lightweight division since what, 2016, something like that, uh, it hits different. It hits different when you get on the PEDs, when you haven't won a fight in a long ass time. There's just something a little different about that, especially when you're running around here uh, looking like you beat Lou Ferrigno in the refrigerator <laughs> carry at the 1978 <laughs> World's Strongest Man competition. Like, it's just a different thing. The other thing I would say, just as an addendum, and I don't want to melt anybody's mind brains here as I say this, but... The USADA testing pool and the UFC anti-doping policy are not the same thing. The policy, the testing pool is responsible for policing the policy, but the UFC anti-doping policy administered by USADA is not the same shit as the testing pool. Just because you get out of the testing pool doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Right? It's that's like driving 100 miles an hour because you don't see a cop. You're still speeding. <laughs> okay. They're not the same thing. I mean, you, you brought up a good point, though, especially when we talked about the comparisons to Anderson Silva's leg break. Like, if you told me that the anti-doping rules are too old-fashioned or too limited when, when allowing sort of post-injury recovery options... I'd be like, okay, I think that you can make a strong argument that way. That especially if you're somebody who, A, has essentially unlimited funds and resources to throw at the problem of your broke-ass leg, which was very badly broken. And you know this is a critical time after this injury where I need to make sure it heals right. Because I've, I've talked to other guys who've had that injury. I remember talking to the late Corey Hill about one of the first people in MMA we saw suffer that exact same injury. And... His never healed completely right. He still dealt with uh, complications and nerve damage and things like that that still affected him. Not just affected him, his ability to fight, but affected him just walking around in daily life. So if you told me he took the approach to that being like, this is a very important time where I have to make sure I am using all possible resources at, at my fingertips to address this and make sure I get it right now, I'd think, okay. I can totally understand what you're thinking. If you're thinking, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say like, hey, this would be the best thing for me, but the anti-doping policy says I can't do it. And therefore, I guess I'll just take a chance that maybe it never heals right. Like, no, I understand why you wouldn't take that approach, especially if you're like, oh, I'm the superstar who gets to basically write his own rules in the UFC. So I'll find a way around it. I can understand all those kind of things. But Chad, if you were making all those calculations, and you knew you're getting out of the testing pool. You're doing some stuff not that wouldn't be allowed if you were still in the testing pool. You're, you're sort of evading detection here while you do all this stuff for your own health, well-being, and future career, but also future life, being able to play with your kids, all that stuff. Don't you think that maybe while you were doing it, 
you try to keep your shirt on on Instagram a little more. Maybe you think, I don't exactly want to draw attention to my awesome physique at this time, at this juncture. Maybe I don't, if my concern is that people are going to start maybe connecting some of these dots and wondering why I haven't been tested and wondering what is going on with me ever since this terrible leg break, maybe I don't want to draw more dots for them to connect by flexing in the mirror constantly. Maybe I want to just lay low a little bit. Because, I mean, that's the argument against allowing people to use some different stuff to help come back from an injury, right? Because if somebody said like, hey, I propose a change to the rules. If you're injured and you're out injured, you should be able to do some of this stuff to get back, to to, to make sure that you heal properly. And then other people would be like, yeah, but what if you also come back fucking jacked as hell, clearly put on a whole bunch of muscle? Like, isn't that kind of the argument against it? And here he is basically... He's been flaunting exactly that. Yeah. Like it's just not strategically. It doesn't seem like the wisest way to go about it. Yeah. Uh, he has promised that this will all be detailed in a four part documentary. I think it's. On- oh, good. Oh, thank God. Yeah. The documentary that he makes about himself is really going to clear it up. Yeah. It's riveting. Uh, according sure, to it'll be hard hitting, unflinching documentary about himself. Yeah. If I guess like is if the question is, should we revisit some of this drug testing stuff? in cases of these terrible, potentially career ending injuries, if it's going to help people recover and return to a hundred percent, I think the answer to that question is yes, but like we haven't done that yet. And you can't just do that on your own. Right. It'd be like if a baseball player was like, you know what? I think we should be able to use aluminum bats. So I'm just going to start using one. (laughs) Right. Like you can't just, you can't just do that. You can't just show up one day and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm using aluminum bats from here on out because I think using wooden bats is bullshit. Uh, if you want to have a conversation about the rule change, we can do that. But it doesn't seem like that's what we're doing here. It seems like what we are doing is retroactively saying, yeah, man, I took a bunch of PEDs and actually that's okay. Well, and since we are talking about this being kicked off by the comments from Anthony Smith, who, you know, again, does not manage to come off as a silly little guy in his criticism here. If anybody should be mad about it, shouldn't it be other fighters who have suffered injuries and had to try to come back from them and deal with them without running afoul of the anti-doping policy? Like, they have way more reason to be pissed off about it or even to care and have an opinion about it than people like us because they've gone through the same shit. They've been injured and been like, man, I would have really liked some good good knowing that I didn't have to worry about USADA showing up at my door while I was recovering. That would have been really nice. I might have made a real difference in my ability to recover and come back 100%. I didn't get to do it, though, because the rules wouldn't allow me, and now you get to write your own rules, essentially, and so I'm pissed off about it. Like, yeah, they kind of have a right to be pissed off. The rest of us are just kind of, you know, talking shit. Talking shit indeed. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Uh, Ben, according to our guy, Kareem Zidane, fighters are still in the year of our Lord, 2022, going over to Chechnya at the behest of Ramzan Kadyrov. We just Hmm. saw these tweets from Kareem Zidane this past week. Uh, Kamara Usman, Henry Cejudo, uh, and Justin Gaethje were in Chechnya at the invitation of Ramzan Kadyrov, I believe maybe for the birthday party of his son. And there are some photographs here of uh, Usman and Henry Cejudo and Justin Gaethje uh, shooting guns out here in in Chechnya. Just, you know, do a little target shooting for fun. 
Uh, also, it looks like Kamara Usman and Justin Gaethje might have wear wore their nice clothes, and Henry Cejudo didn't get the memo. He just showed up in a sweatsuit. But uh, <laughs> you fucking kidding me? We're still doing this even now, even after we already went through the whole bullshit from a couple years ago where a bunch of guys did this and we were like, probably shouldn't do that. Probably shouldn't go make the money uh, from the warlord because he he wants you to go sit by him at the BJJ tournament or whatever. Wants you to come have a seminar. Probably shouldn't do that. Probably not great. You know what? I was probably stupid to think we would have learned our lesson. I should probably not be surprised at this at all, but I am. These guys still going to go over there. Go over to Chechnya, take the money, shoot the guns, put the pictures on the internet. You fucking kidding me? We're still doing this. We've learned nothing. It's just like a uh, yet another instance of MMA playing find the villain. Uh, we're still going to go over there. War war in Ukraine on and all that. Still just, just go over there, take the money, take the pictures, shoot the guns, have a good old time. You fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Yeah, especially somebody like Kamaru Usman, who, you know, was champion for a while, is probably making pretty good money as champion. He's been over there like two or three times at least by now. You can't tell me he's just so desperate for the money after you've been the UFC champion and got a piece of the pay-per-views and we're doing pretty well. And then still, when the call comes and it's like, hey, the uh, warlord of Chechnya would like to have you come out and, you know, you guys can shoot guns and shit at the, uh, the place where we train the soldiers that we then send off to the war of conquest that Russia is fighting in Ukraine. Doesn't that sound fun? Don't you want to be part of that? Come on over, man. And then be like, yeah, sure. That sounds like a great time. I see... No issues with this whatsoever. Fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me, dude. Chad, my are you fucking kidding me this week? Your boy Yuri P is hurt, Chad. Ah, yes. Hurt his shoulder, as I understand. Hurt his shoulder bad. And again, to hear Dana White tell it, Dana White got that Donald Trump disease sometimes when he goes to talking about stuff. Because he can't just be, okay, my man's dealing with a bad shoulder injury. It's like the worst shoulder injury the doctors have ever seen. There's No no one's ever hurt a shoulder this bad. They, they don't even know how he still has a shoulder after the injury he sustained. But anyway, Yuri P, sh- shoulder is injured. It's interesting to first get some of this news via a report from Yahoo Sports' Kevin Aioli. Because there have been several times in over the years, you could say, where when Kevin Aioli tells the story, it clearly comes from the UFC perspective, sort of heavily. And then in the aftermath of that, then we'll get other voices to sort of balance it out. But they usually don't come from his stories. They come from other people's stories. And here's kind of a similar one, where in the original story, it's... Yuri P was his shoulder was so badly hurt that uh, he came in basically dropped the belt on the desk said I can't this is you guys got to take this from me I'm going to be out too long I don't want to hold up the division and then when he starts talking about it it's like it doesn't sound maybe like he said exactly like he was that eager to give up the belt but instead he's going to have to deal with this stuff now the question is what do you do when we got something lined up here with a pay-per-view coming up it was supposed to be this title fight now Here's Dana White's version to Kevin Eoli. We offered Glover the fight, meaning against uh, Ankle Lave, saying like, okay, 
Yuri P's out. We're going to take the belt off him. This will be a vacant title belt. Uh, you versus Ankolaev. We offered Glover the fight. For some reason, he didn't want the fight. So we had to move on. If we couldn't have the rematch getting Ankolaev, who is the second longest winning streak in light heavyweight history, and Blahovich, who is the former champion, is really fortunate. It all fell into place for us, as it often seems to do. But that's a great fight, too. And now it's for the full title. Meanwhile, Chad, you hear Glover's version... Quote, I won't let that affect me inside. I'm a happy and grateful man. You know that saying, you do 1,000 things for someone, but become the worst man if you don't do one thing? I won't say that about the UFC, but they really messed up that day. I spent with a camp and now they took me away from the title fight. I agreed to fight both guys. The only thing I asked was more time to fight Ankalev. I'm a high-level fighter and I don't want to be the guy that goes in there, gets kicked in the arm, and goes down just for the money. Throw a little shade there. I give my blood and life inside the octagon. You've all watched my fights before. I leave everything in there. Are you fucking kidding me? Seems like there's two very different things going on here. Because one thing, Glover's saying, hey... They came to me with that fight. I said, give me two more weeks to prepare, push the fight date a little bit, and then we can do it, no problem. Dana White's version is, for some reason, he didn't want the fight. Don't know what that reason could have been. It's not like he said he just straight up fucking told us and then told everybody about that reason. But hey, it worked out for us. It all fell into place for us as it often seems to do, almost like it's because we control the entire damn thing and so we can do whatever we want. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? I'm shocked. I'm shocked that their story and Glover Tashira's story don't match up. That's just never heard of such a thing, especially not in this sport. I would. I mean, now that we know though that Yuri Prohaska has suffered the worst shoulder injury in the history of shoulders, uh, maybe we just take him out the testing pool. Now, you know, Usada's been showing mm-hmm. up at his house every day, from what yeah. we understand, <laughs> testing him like 55 times or something like that. Maybe we just pull him from the from the pool. And then in order for him to be able to play with his future children, he gets on all the gear he wants. He comes back. He'll probably be back in four months from this shoulder injury. One huge deltoid and one regular one. (laughs) We'll just call it good. He'll go back in there and keep fighting. I don't see why not. I don't see why not either. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, they said Larissa Pacheco had no chance. They said, we've already seen this before, and you lost that shit a couple times now. They said, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to have another one of these Kayla Harrison squash matches, only this time you want to charge us pay-per-view money for it. Much of what they said is stuff that we have actually said here on this podcast in the lead-up to this event, but no! Larissa Pacheco goes out there, shocks the world... Beats Kayla Harrison via unanimous decision in a close, hard-fought five-round bout. And the the aura of Kayla Harrison has, has been shattered somewhat. Larissa Pacheco is now the person to beat. And I guess we got to do it again and again, brother. What now? Mostly I feel disappointed in myself. Because as <laughs> okay. I told I you hear this. Yeah. over the weekend, I've been around this sport a long time, man. 
And you know that I am acutely in tune with the metaphysics, with the spiritual world, with the, uh, the plane of reality just beyond our own that so often seems to dictate how things happen in the world of mixed martial arts. The powers of the MMA gods, the whims of the, of the gods atop Mount Zion. I should have known, Ben, folks, I should have known better. I should have known that if the PFL went out here and tried to do its first pay-per-view event, of course Kayla Harrison is going to lose at it. Yeah. Of course she is. I don't, know, I don't know where my mind was. I should have known this going in. And I missed it. I missed all the signals. And yet here it is. Larissa Pacheco, victorious against Kayla Harrison in the women's lightweight final over there at the PFL. Now, a couple things occur to me. First of all, we talk about a lot in this sport, how hard it is to be the champion, how hard it is to be the best. Everyone in the sport is basically game planning to take you down specifically. And indeed, it does sound like that is what Larissa Pacheco has done here. Basically uh, formulated and planned her entire approach and game plan and career around beating Kayla Harrison put on a lot of muscle mass over the last couple of years, uh, you know, studied and trained specifically to beat Kayla Harrison. And so maybe it shouldn't be that big of a surprise to us that she is able to do that given that, you know, that was the entire focus of everything that she was doing in the sport. So that's number one. Number two, is this a feature or a bug of the PFL system? Because if you can imagine that the UFC, for example, had a thriving women's lightweight division wherein Kayla Harrison was the dominant champion and she had already resoundly beat Larissa Pacheco twice in previous outings, would we be out here doing a third one? Like if we, if there were other contenders and there were other stuff going on, or would we give Kayla Harrison the Conor McGregor treatment of like, well, rolled in and beat Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. Never going to look back. Never will I even pause to consider the idea that we would do it again, brother. But here in the PFL, now they've fought three times. They will probably fight more times essentially because Larissa Pacheco navigated the season system, you know, worked her way into the final and had to fight Kayla Harrison again. Doesn't seem like we would be doing this if we didn't have this gimmick in our promotion of we do this season and then there's a tournament and we do the champion. Yeah. Well, and that is, if you're one of the fighters, then I'm sure it is a feature. Because how many times have we talked about situations before, like what Max Holloway is dealing with at featherweight or other weight classes where you lose a couple times to the champion. And then it kind of doesn't matter how well you do against everybody else you're sitting around basically waiting for someone else to knock off the champion and sort of wipe the slate clean in that division in order for you to get another shot again because people are going to be like, why would we want to see a third one when we saw how the first two went? And just nobody is clamoring for that, and so you don't really have any path to it. And here, if you just win the fights, then you end up in the opportunity. How about that? I mean, we're, we're just so used to MMA not being a sport that works that way at all. Yeah. Hey, other sports, yeah, hey, you win all your playoff games, you win in, you end up in the championship game and that's just how it is. Doesn't matter whether people like you or not. And here it ha- it just has never worked that way, so it kind of blows our minds when it actually does. It also probably helps to be in one of the divisions where there's not a ton else going on. It's not like there's some other like you you have some big free agent pickups you could go try to get after to inject new life into the division or there's a ton of other people to choose from there. They're just not. And so it's maybe 
should have been a little more foreseeable that eventually you're just going to have to fight somebody who's close enough with you and who has a chance to assess your game and, and figure out how to make their matchup more favorable for them with you until sooner or later they win one. Yeah. She also got to say, like, you know, Larissa Pacheco fought a good fight here. She did. Uh, had an answer for a lot of the stuff Kayla Harrison was doing, even when she ended up on her back a lot of times, was very active off it, and Kayla Harrison was less and less effective from the top. And it kind of seemed like uh, just sort of wore Kayla Harrison down. She seemed very tired later in this fight. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's was the plan all along, get her into, like, a grueling kind of match where you just sort of uh, grind away until you end up winning a very close one in a, in a close fifth round. Yeah, you're right. Larissa Pacheco did a great job. She had a great game plan, warded off many of Kayla Harrison's takedown attempts and the times that they did hit the mat. She pretty much threatened with a submission immediately, right? Like yeah. that was clearly her game plan was to like force a scramble or a situation by forcing, by, by challenging with a submission and use it to either get a different position or get back to her feet. And she did it really well uh, during this, this fight. And you're right that it also seemed like Kayla Harrison had that... Uh, you know, that kind of attitude that we've seen from other dominant fighters like Amanda Nunes and, uh, you know, Cyborg, when they end up losing fights, that when things immediately aren't totally going their way, as they have done in other fights, they at first are making this face like, well, this is this is a temporary setback, and soon I will be doing the thing I always do and winning in dominant fashion. And then when that doesn't happen, they, it seems like they get like a... a an adrenaline dump and maybe an emotional letdown and they get very tired. And then, the, then the fight is over. It seemed like that happened to Kayla Harrison. Uh, and I guess in summation, I would ask best or worst thing that could happen to the PFL to have her lose this fight. Well, it does create at least some kind of new narrative yeah, and, and gives us something to sort of look forward to, like what's, what's going to happen with Kayla Harrison now. Whereas if, it had just been the exact same thing that we all expected to happen. She goes in there, wins another one. Boom, Kayla Harrison's still on top. We had sat here so many times and asked the question, how often can you keep doing this? Can you keep Kayla Harrison as a, a main attraction when it just seems like the fights aren't getting any more competitive? It's not getting any tougher. We don't really have anybody even new for her to fight anymore. And then you want to charge people money to show up and see it. And how long can you keep that up? And now you at least have something new, some new, a new wrinkle in the story has happened. So that does give you something to work with. Um, I don't know, though. It, it still makes you feel like, okay, the, do you remember when, I can't remember who it is, wrote into us to tell us about how the, the Google search, the, the story told by the Google search uh, numbers whenever PFL has an event, like when people are actually seem to be paying attention. And it's Kayla Harris and stuff. And... Hasn't she said she doesn't really want to keep doing this season stuff anymore? Yeah. So yeah. now what happens? Are we just are we setting up a super fight kind of thing so that we can get game four? Yeah, I assume you got to do game four of a five fight series here. Now it's and it frankly is the most interesting five fight series you could have at this point. Uh well, how about this wrinkle that we found out the week before the pay-per-view when Kayla Harrison went on Ariel Helwani's show and said she does not get a cut of the pay-per-view money, that she was only getting like she would get the bonus, I assume, if she won the tournament and she was getting this, you know, sweetened deal for when the PFL matched Bellator's offer when she uh, was on the brink of free agency. But I had kind of assumed wrongly, apparently, that giving Kayla Harrison a cut of the pay-per-view money was the whole point 
of her returning to the PFL and doing these pay-per-view events. I thought that like would have been how you quote unquote matched the offer from Bellator, but apparently not. Apparently that's not the case. And maybe if you're Kayla Harrison, you figure not enough people are going to buy the pay-per-view to make it worthwhile to get a cut of it anyway. But I was surprised to find out that we're doing all this rigmarole with the, the pay-per-view and whatnot. And Kayla Harrison's not, not getting a cut of that. That's crazy to me, man. Yeah, it is a lot of rigmarole to do just to to not be uh, using the traditional structure. It also makes you think part of the point of giving a fighter a cut of the pay-per-view is giving them an incentive to go out there and sell it for you. And if Kayla Harrison is the most high-profile person that you have and the person who people care about the most and want to hear from the most, and you do not give her that incentive to go out there and help you sell this thing, it kind of seems like a little bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, other fights on this thing, Brendan Lochnane won the men's featherweight championship, which is, uh, I guess it's nice to see, you know, Brendan Lochnane kind of famously spurned by Dana White on the Dana White contender series after a fight that he dominantly won for shooting a takedown near the end of, uh, near the end of the fight. There is still a famous gif on the internet of the Dana White and Sean Shelby reaction shot when Brendan Lochnane secures that takedown, did not get the, uh, the UFC contract in the wake of that Dana White's contender series appearance, despite the fact that he was far and away, maybe one of the better prospects that they've had on that show. And now he goes out, wins the million dollars in the PFL tournament. Perhaps uh, revenge is sweet. A life well lived, perhaps, is the best revenge for Brendan yeah, How Lockman many uh, fights do you think, if he had gotten in the UFC off the contender series and on one of those contender series contracts, how many fights do you think he has to win to make a million dollars in the Yeah, UFC? he'd probably still be fighting for 25 and 25 or something like two years later in his UFC career. Uh, Olivier, and we have to go fucking 27 and 0 and become a champion to make a million dollars. <laughs> Olivier Aubon Marcier wins the million dollars. And as you mentioned yeah. to me, he's being hilarious about it on the internet. <laughs> I love it. I love everything about the Canadian gangster OAM going out there, uh, wins that million dollars. And then the next morning, he tweeted that clip of. Uh, King Charles signing, you know, the 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 documents and after uh, uh, becoming king of England and waving at a servant to take away the ink pots. And he just wrote, this is me uh, from now on beginning today. It's like, <laughs> hell yeah. This is who I want to go in there and win the PFL million dollars is somebody who's going to be hilarious about it. Yeah. I'm going to turn into Ted DiBiase all of a sudden. <laughs> Uh, you know what things I think could have gone a lot worse for the PP PFL at their, at their pay-per-view event. You get this shocking upset at the top of the card, which, Hey man, you turn around and you do Kayla Harrison against Larissa Pacheco again. I'm going to watch it now. I, I, I didn't watch this one live, but I will watch it next time. If you do it again, cause I'm interested to see what happens and you got a bunch of stoppages in your other championship fights. People seem to think it was a good pay-per-view. So, uh, you know, got to chalk it up as a success, I think, for the PFL here. Yeah. All yeah, right. I mean, Go I ahead. don't know if you sold the total units, but yeah, sure. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three.
Well, Ben, we go from the PFL taking a chance and doing something different to back to the UFC doing exactly the same thing it seems to do every single weekend. This UFC on ESPN event from the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida, features as its main event a welterweight fight between Stephen the Wonder Man Thompson and Kevin Holland. You know, some interesting fights, I will say, uh, on the the main card of this thing and the undercard, frankly, Brian Barberina and Afiel Dos Anjos fight on this thing. Uh, Matthias Nicolo and Matt Schnell, also an interesting fight. Uh, the Prophecy tied to Ivasa going to fight Sergey Pavlovich in a heavyweight fight and Eric Anders and Kyle Dacus, uh, Lil Dacus, in a middleweight fight. And then you look down... Uh, the preliminary cards, you got Nico Price, you got Angela Hill, you got Clay Guida, you got Hot Sauce Holtzman, you got Darren Elkins, you got Amanda Rebos, we got a bunch of people, uh, Michael Johnson, you got a bunch of people on this thing that, uh, that we know and recognize, which actually does make it feel like, hey, this is a television card and not necessarily just one we're going to put over there on the plus. Yeah, and it's been a while since we've had some stuff like that, right? Like it does feel like a little bit of a departure. I mean, especially you... Kind of caught me by surprise telling me that the prophecy is on this one. Way down there on the in the, the, the mix and lower down on the card here. Uh, and honestly, I, I just got a little bit worried just now when I realized, like, wait a minute. It feels like he just got knocked out by Cyril Gone. That, But maybe, you know, our sense of time is all warped these days. Maybe it was much longer than I thought. No, man, it was in September. It was in early September. You come back after that and me mixing it up again with more of these heavyweights. Like, okay, that's that's a little concerning to me. How do yeah. you feel, especially since he, this is your guy, the prophecy? Well, we all love Tai Tuivasa, and nobody wants to see anything bad happen to the guy. But he's also Tai Tuivasa, and I don't know how much time okay. you expect him to take off in the wake of a of a knockout. He probably just needed a couple of days to let the hangover from the twenty four pack of. Uh, soda pops that he drank after the fight to wear off and he's he felt like he's good to go yeah but i mean okay fair enough but it's like how many times have we heard or used to hear dana white make the argument about why the ufc is safer than the nfl because hey those guys will take a concussion and they'll, they'll come back in the game you know before the days of the concussion protocol or you'll see them next weekend or something and our guys you know you get knocked out in a fight you're gone for three months at least we don't see you again and here it is you know it's a little less uh than well i guess right around three months here uh for tai tuivasa or two months really uh in change to come back uh and having had to be in the gym sparring, you would assume, leading up to this fight, and then going to go in there and mix it up with more heavyweights where you, you know how that can go. Yeah, it's it's not great, to be honest. It's probably not a great thing to do, but uh, uh, we're also going to do it, which it seems like it might as well be a uh, an unofficial slogan for the sport. Probably <laughs> not a go great thing to do, do but we are going to do it. Uh, Steven Thompson going off as the slight underdog in the main event of this thing. He's plus 120. Kevin Holland is minus 140. Uh, Steven Thompson, of course, the Wonder Man now pushing 40 years old. He comes into this thing on the heels of back-to-back losses to Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad. Kevin Holland, who at one time was a fast rising star in this division, has seen that momentum slowed a little bit since he, uh, he went 5 and 0 in 2020. He has since just gone 2, 3 and 1 
uh, in his next six fights. He currently is coming off the short notice loss to Kamzat Chemaev at UFC 279. I guess we kind of got to put an asterisk by that one considering how everything went down. But he is, in fact, the slight favorite here to emerge with the victory over the Wonder Man. That honestly surprises me a little bit. I mean, I know... Uh, you can look at the Wonder Man, look at his age, uh, look at uh, a couple recent losses here. Although, again, like, you know, Gilbert Burns beat him in a fight where basically he just outgrappled him for most of it. Then you lose to Bilal Muhammad, who is, you know, pretty good and been hanging right around there in the division. But then, matchup wise against Kevin Holland, I would think that uh, there's a lot of stuff probably in Stephen Thompson's favor. Uh, plus,. After we just saw Kevin Holland get ragdolled by Hamza Chameyev and then briefly, so ever so briefly, retire, only to come back out to take this one. I don't know. I kind of like the underdog odds on uh, the Wonder Man here. Well, that one's close. The other couple of fights on this main card are not. Brian Barberina is a 420 underdog to Rafael Dos Anjos, and Matt Schnell is a 300 underdog uh, to Mateus Nicolau. You know what that means. Sprinkle, sprinkle. You're going to sprinkle it on? Going to okay. be sprinkling a little bit. Tied to Ivasa, slight underdog to Sergey Pavlovich. You know I'm going to spend some money on the prophecy there. But, uh, you know, not a terrible UFC card, considering how we roll them out. And this one, essentially, just a table setter for the now uh, much changed, much altered UFC 282 uh December 10th, where the, your main event is now Jan Blahovich against Magomed Ankalaev for the UFC light heavyweight title. So a couple of weeks in a row here where there will be interesting UFC fights, if not necessarily highly saleable ones. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about people just acting like they've already forgot how Brian Barbarino went out there and just wild manned his way to a win over Robbie Lawler. Yeah. No. Just yeah. Short memories, short memories in the sport. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Going to swing onto the deck of your ship with a knife in his teeth. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and do just saying stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, as may have become clear when we were discussing it earlier, I did not, in fact, purchase the PFL pay-per-view. Had other business going on. It's a holiday week, all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I went to catch up with it later, I thought, okay, PFL has been really holding it down on ESPN, on ESPN Plus, where we're used to find it. I didn't know they wanted to sell this pay-per-view, but a day or two later, you know, pay-per-views on Friday night by Sunday or something, I'm sure maybe they'll go ahead and they'll put it up there for the subscribers. Because look, it's hard enough to sell a live sports pay-per-view after the fact a couple days later. But it's even harder to sell a PFL one a couple days later. You know what I'm saying? So they'll go ahead. They'll probably throw it up there so that people can just see it. Nope. Nope, they did not. Still, they had it up there on the page. But still, you had to click buy pay-per-view, even though the pay-per-view happened like two days earlier. And I know we got all these things that we like to do and the, the, the rules about how we'll put it up there a month afterwards or 90 days afterwards or whatever it is. But I'm just saying, on this one... Don't you think we could have just put it up there afterwards? I'm not saying like two hours after the event's over or anything, but like 48 hours goes by. Don't you think we could just take all the fights from that one and just go ahead and put them up on ESPN Plus? Because I didn't pay for it when it was live. I'm not going to pay for it a couple days later when I know most of the results. And I did not have a hard time finding video of those fights anyway. I'm just saying on this one. Come on. Don't you think? We could just put it up there. Just throw it on up there. Nobody will even notice. Just saying. 
So what you are saying this week is that you were expecting ESPN to just like break you off a good deal this just, weekend? Just, just throw the fights up there. A little, uh, just showing the, some thanks for your appreciation for your service, for your You don't even dedication. have to make a big announcement. You don't have to make a big deal about it or anything. Don't even say anything. Just, just throw them up there. Just toss it up if there. I'm, if, I go, if I happen to click on the PFL icon, navigate to the page, just throw me some fights up there, man. Just Come toss on. toss it up there. Okay. I hear what you're saying. Uh, ben, this week I'm just saying, you know what? Obviously, we talk frequently a lot about a bad stuff that seems to percolate around the edges of mixed martial arts this week, mentioning Kamaru Usman and Henry Cejudo and Justin Gaethje being over there in Chechnya, et cetera, et cetera. Conor McGregor uh, going to try to how, how dare you his way uh, through some apparent <laughs> PEDs usage while coming back from his injury. So I guess this week I'm just saying we've made fun of this guy here and there, called him a mascot, questioned his longevity in the UFC because of the way he flies his chin up in the air, like a signal flag when he's fighting. And I know if you look deep into his own social media timelines, uh, you'll find some objectionable stuff here and there. But this week I'm just saying, thank God for this video of Patty Pimblett showing up at his neighbor's house to report that his, his dog quote, just took a sloppy shit in front of your house. <laughs> And the woman who is not home, but is communicating with Patty Pimblett through her ring doorbell is immediately like, is that Patty the batty? Just yeah. like, <laughs> this is all, this is a, if you don't mind a little, a few swears, some talk of some dog excrement, this is a wholesome good time. Watching Patty Pimblett try to do the right thing to yeah. show up at his neighbor's house and be like, hey, I couldn't pick the sloppy shit up with the, with the dog poo bag. Sorry about that. Do you have any water and I can clean it off? And the lady is like, I'll do it when I get home. And Patty Pimblin is like, are you sure about that? Because I could do it because I, I feel bad about this. I'm just saying, man, it's nice to see Patty Pimblin out here trying to do the right thing. And also because we're in we're in Britain calling the woman love yeah. every now, every now and then in conversation. Yeah, you, may, you maybe still don't want to ask him what he thinks about uh, Britain's uh, immigration policies or anything. You, you might hear some stuff that you don't like so much then. But it is, as especially as a dog owner myself. And sometimes you're out there on a walk and sometimes, you know, it it comes out in a form that's really easy. You got, I got my bag all the time tied to my leash. You got untie the bag, pick it up on your merry way you go. But other times you're like, listen, the bag can't do anything about this one. The bag isn't going to help us here. What am I to do? And to be like the guy who's like, you know what? I'll go up there, ring the doorbell, I'll explain the situation to them and see if they'll help me out with some resources so that I can clean it up and uh, and not leave this here. You know, that's just, that's called being a, a good neighbor. It's called being a good dog owner is what it is. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Ordinarily, we would have after hours coming up right now, but I got a house full of sick kids. I got to get out there and do some parenting so we can't get into that this week. Uh, but we do hopefully have a full slate of Patreon content coming your way over at patreon.com slash co-main event this week. Get over there and join the team. Any one of our four handy tiers of patronage will get you in the door. As for right now, though, thanks for listening, everybody. We are done. We are through. We are out. So if I'm Yuri P's guy, if I'm Yuri P's manager, how long do I wait before I try to jump on the horn with Dana White and be like, uh, how do we get out of the USADA pool, bro? Like, I hear that's a thing that's going around now. I hear that's a thing you can do. Maybe we just uh, we sub Yuri P out a little bit. They've been testing him a lot. Basically roommates with the USADA guy right now. Like, how do we, uh, 
how do we get him out of this? I hear that's what you do now. And that's what I'd be saying to him is I'd be like, look, he's already banked a whole bunch of tests. Couldn't we just take one of those B samples off the shelf and test it again if we need to? You know what I'm saying? He did a whole, he put in a whole lot of work. It's like you put in all that, that overtime early on in the week so that then you can knock off early on Friday. This is kind of the, the, the equivalent here. How about we just tell USADA that uh, he'll be back when he's back? I, I like it. I think it's the proper approach, Frank.